but to the mid of until the men's retreat. Um, so we have we are blessed and just continue to be praying for Pastor Don and Lisa as they're in Mexico right now, just taking a time of rest and vacation. Um, and we're super blessed to have Dave here this morning, give you another word. So why don't you guys go ahead, stretch your hands to Dave and uh, let's pray for him. Father, we thank you so much uh, for this uh, for this amazing man and what he has done and just his faithfulness to the kingdom. And we're just so grateful and honored to have him here with us uh, this morning. Holy Spirit, use him and speak to him as he gives us the word. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm way too envious of Don sitting on the beach to pray for him. <laughs> I think he should be praying for us. <laughs> you know, we, uh, I, uh, I received a report a couple of days ago from one of the churches we work with in Ontario, and they have, this church uh, has three different sites, three different communities that it meets in. And in one of those communities, <clears throat> the congregation is about 100 and to 125 people on that site. Um, in the last two weeks, they've had four miracles of healing. Four miracles of healing. The pastor is a young guy, just not much older than Breno. And, uh, you know, we, we, take heal- we talk about healing. We say we believe in it, but we're surprised when it happens. And uh, so... Uh, I want to take a little step of faith here, and, and maybe you can take a step of faith too. It might bless you. Um, how many people here this morning are suffering, young to old, no matter what age, from athletic injuries or joint pain? Now, just, just stick your hand up, okay? That, that's a lot of people. Okay. Now, can I encourage you, at the end of the service... Uh, just up at the front here, uh, a couple of the elders. And you know, the, a person who has received a miracle of healing often has a lot of faith. So have Dr. Ben join a couple of the elders here, and I'll give you a clue. You know, this is a no-brainer. You can go to his clinic and pay to get better tomorrow, or you can get better for free today. <laughs> That's a Holy Spirit adjustment. Okay. Now, I'm serious about this. You, you can sit with your athletic injuries or your joint pain, and I can't guarantee like, that God can, I mean, I can't guarantee what God is going to do, and I certainly can't do anything myself other than pray. But if he hadn't come up and taken that step of faith, he wouldn't have had that healing. That's a kind of a easy one to figure out, isn't it? So, I, can I just encourage you, if you're one of those that put your hand up, you know, come up at the end, and there'll be several folk here to pray for you, elder couples and uh, Dr. Ben and so on, and, and uh, you know, if you want to come and join the party and pray for people, that's fine. Uh, and let's just see what God does. Well, you don't sound too enthused about getting healed, but anyway... Now, I'm going to talk this morning about the persistent widow from Luke chapter 18. And uh, the Scripture is going to go up. I think the whole of the text is going to go up. I speak it by faith. There. See? There's my faith. Okay. (laughs) Um, And uh, I've just asked them to leave it up so that you can 
follow as we go along. But let me just tell you something to begin with, that uh, one of the interesting things, and the Gospels, it's one of those things the Gospel are, are full of if you, if you read it with this in mind. Jesus elevated the role of women. And women lived in a, it was a very oppressive society for women in Jesus' day. And some of the things he did were, were very, very radical. And if you read through the Gospels, 2,000 years before the feminist movement ever arrived, Jesus elevated the role of women out of oppression. And uh, this story is just one example of how sensitive Jesus was to the place of oppression that women were in and how God cared for them. So I just want to add that in there. Next time you read the Gospels, just look at all the women that are involved and how Jesus treats them. And, and, uh, uh, and you know, uh, uh, as, as men, God calls us to be leaders. He does. But leaders in God's household are not people who order other people around. They're people who lay their life down for them. And uh, that's just a good thing to remember. So here we go into the persistent widow. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she won't beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, every parable of Jesus tells a story. And the story is always about someone else. But Jesus is very smart. He gets you involved with what's happening to the other person, but then you find out it's really about you. Or at least it could be about you, and you better listen. And so it is with the story of the persistent widow. The clue that it's about you and me is in the context. Just before he, immediately before he tells this story, Jesus has finished talking to the disciples about the coming of the kingdom. He warns them that days will come when they'll long for his return, but they won't see it. People will carry on just as they did in the days of Noah. They'll live without regard for God. There'll be wickedness on every side. They'll ignore the warnings of judgment. Those who follow Jesus will suffer. He said, whoever loses his life will keep it. But his return is sure. The day is coming when the Son of Man is coming back and we're to wait patiently for Jesus' return, never walking out on him, never giving up when he doesn't seem to show up when we want him to. That's what Jesus has been teaching the disciples right before he gives out this story about the widow. So, the parable, the story, is similar to... Uh, another story that Jesus told. That was a story 
of a desperate man begging his neighbor for bread at midnight. His neighbor doesn't want to get up, but because the man keeps keeps standing at the door knocking, in the end he gives in. The guy gets his loaf. You know, last this is just a confidential aside to the, those of you that that are here, and and don't anyone tell Joe Wells that I'm telling this story. But uh, we we were last year living right beside Joe, and I kept dropping these hints. You know, I seen him out at his barbecue, and that steak was sizzling. When are you going to invite me over? You know, and he said, "Get lost." Now I came back another time. You know, when when he invite me over? Oh, you're, you preachers are all just in it for the free lunch. Well, I am. That's fine. But <laughs> and I kept at him, and finally, just before we were about to leave, he said, "All right, come on over." And we had a very nice lunch. As a matter of fact, we happened to be staying in the very same place this year, and I did see him out at his barbecue yesterday. So <laughs> now, don't tell Joe I was telling this story on him. See, the guy knocked on the door at midnight, and eventually he got his loaf. Sorry, Joe. (laughs) But that story and this story right here teach us about how important it is to persist. Persistence is so important, not just in prayer, but in life. God In both these stories, the man who knocks at the door asking his neighbor for bread and the widow and the judge, God seems to get the role of the villain. God is the neighbor who doesn't want to get out of bed. And God takes the role of the unjust judge. So Jesus does this not because it's true, but he wants to get our attention for the point he's going to make, which is don't give up no matter what. Last week I talked about desperation. This week I'm talking about persistence. Now the Gospels talk a lot about Jesus praying. Things often happen after Jesus started to pray. He started to pray and Satan got defeated. He started to pray and apostles got appointed. He started to pray one day and Moses and Elijah showed up on top of the mountain. And now Jesus is going to apply the same truth to us. us. Things will happen if you pray and don't give up. So he starts here with the instruction. They ought always to pray and not lose heart, verse 1. Now, always doesn't mean praying all the time. It just means praying persistently. You pray once, nothing happens. What are you going to do? Give up? No. You go and pray again. And you wait a week and pray another time. Jesus said, seek, knock, and ask, and the door will be open to you. You knock, and nothing happens. You knock a little more, and nothing happens. Now you're knocking, and your knuckles are bleeding. You keep on knocking. You press through the pain, and sooner or later, something is going to happen. How many people have given up when they were right at the point of victory? Let me tell you something. From long experience, Satan's pressure is often most severe at the very moment God is about to move. So if he's throwing the kitchen sink at you and everything seems to be falling apart, hallelujah, something great is going to happen. 
Just don't give up. You ought to pray. That means you must pray. Prayer is not an option. It's not a suggestion. Prayer is a life and death necessity which will have a profound bearing on what happens in your life. Prayer is the single most important thing you can do. We're, we're people that like doing things. We go out and do everything except pray. If you just prayed, you wouldn't have to do so much. Prayer is the most productive thing you can do. It will increase the efficiency of everything else that happens in your life. So many things that we do to come to nothing because we never ask God whether we should do them in the first place. Try asking God, should I do this? Before you just go out and do it. I, I, I don't know of any way of determining the will of God for your life or mine accurately which doesn't place prayer at the top of the list. It's where you start, not something you turn to when everything else has failed. Prayer is a partnership in which God draws us as sons and daughters into the family business, which is the kingdom of God. So he says, don't lose heart. What does it mean not to lose heart? It means not giving up. Paul uses the same word in Galatians. He says, never give up doing good, for if we don't give up, we'll reap a harvest. It's the same word he uses in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 where he says, I don't give up. I don't lose heart in the present sufferings I'm going through because I know that there's going to be a harvest coming. Don't give up. Don't give up. Be stubborn. Jesus knows there will be days when anybody who follows him will feel spiritually, physically, emotionally tired, even broken. Not losing heart means to persist when everything else is against you. You think, I'm a failure. I feel down. Things are not going well. Don't give up. That, that, that's the only thing, that's the only quality you need to have is just don't give up. Don't judge yourself. Don't walk out on God. Don't walk out on situations. Just don't give up. The challenges we face sometimes are overwhelming. And it's hard to believe God for anything. When that happens, don't give up. Dig yourself deeper into God. The greater the challenge comes in life, the deeper you need to dig yourself into God. Why is persistent prayer effective? Because as soon as we start to pray, the Holy Spirit starts to help us. Romans tells us the Holy Spirit cries, Abba, Father, within us. He awakens our spirit. That passage in Romans 8 even tells us that He prays through us in the groanings. How many of you have ever been in a place of prayer <clears throat> where things were so bad that you couldn't even say anything? All you could do is groan. Now, well, I've been there. I don't know if anybody else has. 
But that's the Holy Spirit groaning in you. The Holy Spirit is praying through you to bring you into the presence of Almighty God. If that's not an encouragement, I don't know what is. You are not alone. Well, in verse 2, we're introduced to the judge. The judge is the other character in the story. The widow is the one, the judge is the other. It says, he fears neither God nor man. He's totally corrupt. And this sets the stage for Jesus' teaching. The battle between the widow and the judge shows us prayer is not just a religious ritual. Prayer is not just a quick, easy tap of the spiritual credit card to get what you want. Prayer occurs in the midst of battle. The battle we fight, the opposition is often massive. When we're fighting battles, sometimes there seems to be no care for justice. Sometimes answers are delayed. Sometimes we're crying out day and night and nothing is happening. It's not just a tap of the spiritual credit card. Prayer is a life and death battle in which God meets us at the screaming point. Oh, maybe, maybe I'm the only one. Let's have that experience. But you see, sometimes we think we just go and pray and nothing happens and we walk away, we walk out and we give up. But prayer is a battle. It's a life and death battle. And we learn from this widow that we need to persist. In verse 3, the widow appears. She may actually have been quite young. Girls often married in their early teens. And in the culture of the day, there was no welfare system. And so uh, women were not well treated, as I alluded to at the beginning. And a woman like her was dependent on either her father, her husband, or her, or her children. And this lady apparently had none of them. So she was in dire trouble. Now, the Old Testament is full of warnings about treating widows properly, but in violation of that, somebody had defrauded this lady, and she had nobody to defend her. Just like the father we talked about last week who brought his demon-possessed son to Jesus, she was desperate. She was in a desperate life-and-death position. And so it tells us in verse 3 that she kept on coming. And the force of the verb is she kept on and on and on and on. The weapon that she had was persistence. But in the judge, she meets a brick wall. When we get to verse 4, the text refers to another repeated continuous action. It's translated for a while he refused. But what it means is that the woman kept coming and coming and coming, and the judge kept refusing and refusing and refusing, because he was stubborn too. And let me tell you, the devil is stubborn. He doesn't give up easily. Just because you need a healing in your life, or you need some financial help, or a relationship restored, or whatever the situation is in your life, or your family, uh, your needs and, and the things that are heavy in your heart, you, you, you go and say, well, God, fix it all. Well, nothing happens because we have an enemy. 
He's described in the Bible as a destroyer, as the destroyer. And it takes the power of the kingdom to defeat him. But to access the power of the kingdom, Scripture teaches we need to keep coming and not give up. But something remarkable happens because in verses 4 and 5, the judge has a conversation with himself. And in the conversation with himself, at least he's honest. He says, I neither fear God nor respect man. But then comes this magic little word, yet. What's happened? The widow has found his Achilles heel. Her pestering is driving him crazy. Is there anyone in your life that has ever driven you crazy? I can think of one or two. He can no longer stand her coming. That woman, he's saying to himself. Now, it's not as if the judge has got himself saved or undergone a moral transformation or repented of his bad treatment of her. No. His actions are dictated just by his own comfort and convenience. This phrase, she keeps bothering me, actually means she's become a pain in a body part. We'll translate it, she's become a pain in the neck. That's what he's saying to himself. And then he goes further. He says, all right, I'll give her justice so that, and this is translated, she will not beat me down by her continual coming. This is verb is hypopiatzine in the Greek language, and it is a word borrowed from the world of boxing. And it means a face swollen and discolored by repeated blows. It's a boxing term. And he obviously was a boxing fan because he says, she has punched me in the face to the point where my face isn't even recognizable anymore. I can't stand it. She's pestered him to the point of distraction. He can't take it anymore against all the odds. Through her persistence, the widow has won. Amen. Now, in verses 6 and 7, Jesus brings the application. By drawing attention to the bad character of the judge, Jesus now makes a point about the character of God. He says, hear what the unrighteous judge says. In other words, the unrighteous judge, in spite of himself, is giving her justice. But he says, and will not God, who is righteous, will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? This phrase, and will not God, is is the strongest possible language. It means there's absolutely no doubt that God will help his people when they pray. God will most certainly, beyond the shadow of any doubt, give justice. If even a wicked judge will respond to a persistent cry for justice, how much more will a righteous God do so? But in it, Jesus is making another point. Because God's, 
He, he says, will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? So Jesus is picturing us as crying out to him day and night. This word cry out is used in the passage that we looked at last week where the desperate father, I believe, help my unbelief, he cried out to Jesus for help. I don't think as Jesus was going along the road, that, that desperate man, I don't think he said, hey, Jesus, how are you doing today? I think he said, Jesus, help me! He, he's yelling. He's like the blind beggar at the side of the road that was screaming out to the point where they had to say, shut up, shut up, don't disturb the rabbi. That was a religious spirit. But Jesus responds to that kind of cry. The blind man at the side of the road, he said, bring him here. The desperate father who says, I believe, help my unbelief, Jesus healed his boy. He was crying out to him. The blind man, as I said, at the side of the road in Luke 18, he cried out. The desperate father cried out. And Jesus says prayer is a desperate cry to God. Prayer is not a conversation where you and I have everything all together, where, you know, absolutely our life is in apple pie order and we have no problems and we just have a little conversation with God. That's not really what prayer is about. Now, not all prayer is crying out desperately, but some prayer is crying out desperately. There was a day when Elaine was praying desperately about one of our kids. And while she was praying on the floor, a book fell on top of her head. And uh, she had been praying that our son would come back and say, I see. He was not in a good place at that time. And the book that fell on her head was the story of the blind man in the Bible. It's a children's story saying, and the title of it was, Now I See. And it was what? couple years? Five years. Five years after the book fell on her head, our son came back and said, now I see. See? You know, battle doesn't come, answers don't come easy, do they? But we got to fight day and night, often in the night. She used to get up in the night awakened, praying in the night. My wife prays in the... You know, being married to me, you can see why she has to do all this crying out. But uh, some prayer is crying out. And some prayer is, I feel a failure because I've been praying and nothing's been happening. Well, I am a failure. Nobody say amen, please. <laughs> you know, but I am. I, I, I mean, I can't do anything. If I don't have the Lord in my life, everything is a disaster. So I am desperate. I don't mind saying. I have to cry out because I can't fix it. Only Jesus can. So I hope that helps somebody this morning. If you feel, don't feel that you're too embarrassed uh, to go back to God one more time. Don't feel too embarrassed to go to somebody else and say, oh, I, what's happening to me? I can't get there. Can you help me? That's what we're here for. We're only a bunch of 
people that really don't know what we're doing, asking God to help us. So, when we cry out to God, it's not just a polite address, it's a screaming cry for help. Do we realize the desperate position we're in on a day-to-day basis? Do we understand that we're always one step away from some disaster happening? Do we understand that only crying out to Jesus will help us? My question to you folks this morning is, does your desperation lead to your crying out to God? (laughs) Or does it lead to depression, anger, bitterness, whatever? despair? Or does it lead you to crying out to God? There's nothing wrong with being desperate, but it's what do you do with your desperation? And I think even though if our, let me put it this way, if our, if we treat prayer as an afterthought, if there's no emotion, no forcefulness, no desperation, there's something missing. Not all of our prayers are desperate cries, but most of us, including myself, need to get more desperate, and most of, most of us, including myself, need to do a lot more crying out. Now, the story implies a delay between our praying and God's answering. The delay is the time it says in the text we are crying out day and night, right? So, there's a delay. And so Jesus makes a statement right out front. He says, will he delay long over them? Now, while you are crying out day and night to God, it may appear that God is not there. It may appear, and the devil will advertise this abundantly, that God is not answering. It may appear that. But that's not true. Because the next thing Jesus says is, I tell you, he will give justice speedily. Now, you might question that word speedily because how does that coincide with delay? But the word speedily in Greek actually means surely or certainly. So, God will answer our cries certainly. Certainly. But let's remember that our timing is rarely God's. Has anyone ever given you a good word of prophecy. And you expect it to be fulfilled yesterday. (laughs) We've had words of prophecy that were not fulfilled for years. We've had prayers, like I said a moment ago, five years went past. And so, but God... Even though His timing is not our timing, God will surely help us. Well, with the Lord a day is a thousand years, right? He sees things from the perspective of eternity. But as we look back, we often realize so much more than we did at the time how faithful God was and how His timing in the end was perfect. Soon, in God's timing, may not be soon enough from my perspective, And it certainly won't be soon enough for me to lead a totally trouble-free life, but it's always soon enough for him to ensure that his kingdom purposes in my life are accomplished. But how many of us have grown 
during that agonizing period between our need becoming real and God answering. I call it the great in-between of crying out to God. In all of this, we're brought back to Jesus' concern at the beginning of this story that we don't give up. In the midst of the trial and the hassle and the difficulty, we are to be like this wonderful woman who kept going back over and over and over and beating that judge black and blue until she got justice. I wonder how many days she got up and felt like giving up, but she didn't. We all feel like giving up, don't we, at one time or another, every single one of us. But don't. God wants a people. God doesn't care if you feel like giving up. God just says, don't. Don't beat yourself up because you feel like giving up, but just don't give up. We know from experience that there's almost always a delay between our praying and our getting an answer. We may suffer for a season, just like this lady. Just like this lady, we may have to call repeatedly upon the judge. Just like this lady, our need may drive us to crying out in desperation, but like her, we must never give up. Why God appears to delay is beyond our reasoning, but the delay is often a critical part of His plan. Sometimes God has to bring other things into the picture in order to answer our prayer, other circumstances, other people. Sometimes God is saving us from the things that we've asked for. How many have looked back and say, thank God He didn't answer that prayer? How many of us uh, have been in that place where we look back and say, hey, God changed me while I was praying, even while I wasn't getting my answer. He changed me. Because getting closer to the Lord is more important than the answer to any prayer. Sometimes we find we begin to pray a little more wisely and we begin to pray a little different. Hopefully we discover it's more important to seek God for Himself than the thing that we're asking for. But regardless, there's one thing we're called to do and that's to pray. And there's one thing we're called not to do and that's to give up. Well, I have to land this plane. When times are tough... We're tempted to question the faithfulness of God. But the real issue is not God's faithfulness. It's our faithfulness. It concludes with a statement here, maybe we didn't expect. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? Now, all of us can identify with the widow in our experience of God seemingly not answering. But here's the point Jesus wants to make. It's not God's willingness to answer prayer that's in question. It's our faithfulness to Him while waiting for Him to do so. We may become angry or disillusioned, even walk away, but God is always faithful. And at the end, when the Son of Man comes, He'll be looking for people with the faith of this widow. The word faith here means faithfulness. Our faith is not just our conversion. Our faith is not just belief in truths that are in the Bible. 
Our faith is a life of faithful obedience to God. Jesus is looking for those who are looking for Him. Immediately before He told the story, as I said at the beginning, He was talking about the days when we're longing for Him to come, but He doesn't come. See, this story isn't just about the occasional delay and answered prayer or the occasional crisis we have in our life. This story is about a lifetime of faithfulness to God. Faith is not a sprint. It's a marathon. Jesus tells us of tribulations which will tempt us to stop being faithful. Times when there isn't any answered prayer. Times when we give up or are tempted to give up. And encouragement is, His encouragement is that even when there's delay, God is still there and He'll come through for us. And so in the in-between of our praying and God's answering, let's be like this wonderful woman who just kept coming, whether she felt up, down, or in between. No matter how many disappointments she'd had, no matter how hopeless her situation was, she never gave up. Her greatest weapon was not talent, it wasn't eloquence, it wasn't money, it wasn't position, it wasn't influence. She had none of those. Her greatest weapon, in fact, her only weapon was persistence. And in the end, it was all she needed. At a time of deep discouragement in my life, I got up in the morning and I read this scripture. It was in my Bible reading that morning. So I encourage you to read the Bible every day in a structured way because so often God has spoken to me in a structured Bible reading that I had no control over what I was going to read that morning. And, but the scripture just spoke supernaturally into where I was at. And this was one of those occasions. I was so discouraged and I opened my Bible to my scripture that morning, and it said this, Be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And as soon as I finished reading it, this was in the old days when there was letter mail. Uh, the, the mailman was at the door, and... Uh, a letter came through the slot. I was living in England. And in the letter, a lady who was a lawyer, I had prayed for her eight or nine months before in another city in London, actually. And she had been brought to church that morning suffering from clinical depression that was so severe that she had not been out of her house for extended period of time. She'd had to give up her work as a lawyer. But somebody brought her to church that morning, and God had spoken to me to pray for the sick. I asked the pastor, and he said, that sounds great. And I remember I was there till about two or three o'clock in the afternoon praying for people. And this lady was one of them. I didn't even remember praying for her. And in the letter, she recounted how she was instantly delivered from clinical depression. That's very unusual. She had gone back to work, 
And she was engaged, met a young man, was engaged to be married. And God said, David, David, be steadfast and immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. God saved the letter, something that happened months earlier. He saved the letter for that very moment. And God made his point. Never give up. Let's stand. Some of you, as I've mentioned at the beginning, have suffered from healing, maybe chronic athletic injury or joint pain or whatever. And I am encouraging you really to come up to the front and have some prayer, please, at the end of the service. You felt like giving up. Don't. And then across the congregation this morning, people that are listening online, there's probably lots of us that have situations where we felt like giving up. Don't. Be steadfast and immovable. Give the devil a punch in the face. Lord Jesus, we just stand here today as forgiven, imperfect people. We have contributed nothing to our salvation. We can do nothing without you. We are desperate for you. So, Lord, I pray for those of us this morning that can identify with some of the things I've been saying. And I pray, Holy Spirit, would you bring encouragement into their hearts, into their spirit at this moment, Lord. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come now. I ask you supernaturally and sovereignly to speak life into the hearts of folk who feel like giving up. Lord, I thank you. You never gave up on us. I don't know what you felt like going to Calvary. I can't imagine. But you didn't give up. And because of that, we have everything we do today. Thank you, Jesus. I just feel we should. Gabriel, can you lead us in a song of some sort? And uh, let's just respond to the Lord.